Stephen Willard here. We are keeping the metaphysical train rolling on this week's episode. Uh, I get to chat with uh, one of my teachers, Lodro Rinsler, who is a, uh, a Buddhist and meditation teacher. He uh, has written a book called, well, he's written several books. His first book, which is one of my favorites that I always recommend to people who maybe want to know more about the whole Buddhism topic, is The Buddha Walks Into a Bar, which is really cool. And then he has one called Walk Like a Buddha, The Buddha Walks Into the Office. You, you get the drift. Uh, is so cool because he's been meditating since he was six years old, which I think when I was six, I was just spinning around wanting to turn into Wonder Woman. Never happened, by the way. But um, Lodra's got this uh, really cool approach to Buddhism that I like, that he's very modern. Uh, he's also a drag aficionado, which we talk a little bit about. And um, he's just a, a smart and fun guy. He's also currently doing a, uh, a Buddhist immersions program, which I did earlier this year, actually. If you want to know more about that, check out his website, lodrorinsler.com, or follow him on Instagram. It's a really good program. It's uh, you know self-paced. You know they're, they're they're videos. You don't have to like you have to be here on Tuesdays at four o'clock. It's a, it's a very accessible program, and I hope you'll enjoy his chat with me today. And as always, please uh, follow us on Spotify or subscribe on iTunes. And come on, leave Daddy a five star review, would you? All right, I'll talk to you next time. Bye. Uh, I said this yesterday to someone. I think that's the same voice that does Alexa. Oh, right. <laughs> I think it's I think it's the same no. same AI yeah. actress. Yeah. All right. So uh, I am sitting here with uh, let's see, so many hyphens: writer, teacher. Um, he doesn't know, but closet me- or secret mentor <laughs> for me, Lodro Rinsler. Good morning, Lodro. Good morning. Thanks for having me here. Thanks for uh, taking time out of your hurricane prep to be here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it, it's literally the calm before the storm. So it's a nice time to sort of sit down and have a fun conversation. Well, it's so interesting because I, uh, I grew up in, on the Southeast coast. So hurricanes are nothing <laughs> like new to me. And uh, there's also, you know, there's, there is this weird kind of but also kind of cool vibe, like in the, that call before the storm, like there's this weird quiet and yeah. And then it's chaos for a bit and then it's quiet and then there's chaos and then it's quiet. It's a very uh, mindful <laughs> exercise, isn't it? Yeah, it is in that sense that there, I mean, we have so many, not to make this an immediate metaphor, but this is, it's just like, there's these moments in our life where there is some sense of just, oh, things are sort of plodding along normally. And uh, and then something happens in life, you know? There's an old poem by the Tibetan teacher Chogun Trungpa Rinpoche called Timely Rain. And the opening lines are, in the garden of gentle sanity, may you be bombarded by coconuts of wakefulness. And I love that because that's where a bunch of us basically live our life, right? Like we're basically yeah. sort of, plodding along, oh, it's gentle sanity. We're sort of tending the garden, things are fine. And then out of nowhere, something hits us. And it's not like a little acorn in this example, it's a coconut. Coconut falling yeah. down and knock us to our knees. We curl up in a ball. So, you know, we lose our job, a relationship dissolves, whatever it is. And that's the moment that- A pandemic. 
pandemic. We could either shrink and just hide out or we could actually say, this is an opportunity for me to develop more wakefulness, more awareness of my own mind. So there is, I, I mean, yes, I'm going straight to like big metaphors off of a hurricane thing, but you know, I, I think this is just like the patterns of our life that we have times where things are sort of going, the winds at our back and times when everything falls apart. And it's those times when everything falls apart that, you know, the work that you and I do actually starts to really show up for people. It's like, oh, I right. actually mind. So um, do you think that, that's one of the things that I think is so interesting about what we've been going through for the last, what? 18, 19 months, is that, you know, prior to this, everyone just had sort of uh, personal individual dramas and coconuts. And this is the first like group project. <laughs> and, it, and it seems that people are losing their shit in it. Um, and there's like maybe a small percentage that are like what you just said, like, oh, isn't this, a-? which is one of the things I thought was kind of like I didn't freak out so much last year during the first part of the lockdown. If anything, I, I like got in better shape. My, like my practice got stronger. I became more serious about it, but now like it's raining coconuts. And how do you, you're the perfect person to ask about this because you also have a, an amazing book about anxiety and mindfulness. Um, how can you, stop yourself when those coconuts are flying like it like joe blow that's never sat down and even thought about meditation i pun intended um like what's a good first step good question and there's a lot within there you know this new book take back your mind buddhist advice for anxious times it's it is it's this book that was written sort of for this time in the pandemic and um Looking did you start at, writing it in the pandemic? I did. I started or were you already writing it? And then maybe half to three quarters of it was during the pandemic. Okay. So it became, you know, like it was, oh, I should write a book on anxiety. And it's like, well, this is only getting worse. It's, I got to speed this process. Um, because, and I look at it through these three lenses. One is what you mentioned there, the personal, me working with my own mind, right? Like uh-huh. a classic example, someone says, hey, we need to talk. I was at dinner last night. <laughs> a friend of my mother's called and says, I'm concerned about your mother. And I was like, oh my God, did my mother fall? And she can't get up. Like I had to like, get up and make a bunch of phone calls. But I could have sat there and just stewed and been like, oh my gosh, what's going wrong with her? I was able to cut through a lot of the stories pretty quickly just because I'm sort of used to this example of working with my own mind. My mother's fine for whatever it's worth. Um, she has friends that are prone to anxiety themselves and they can't mm-hmm. deal with their minds. So they call... <laughs> Let me pull someone else's mind into it. (laughs) Right. Like, but that's like such a classic example of personal. Like, oh my gosh, what's what do they mean by this? What's going on with her? What's the story? Blah 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 blah. Like that's me working with my own mind. The interpersonal is, you know, anyone who's ever dated anyone ever. That's a perfect example of like interpersonal. (laughs) Why aren't they texting me back? And like we just sort of like have this anxiety around an individual, and maybe they have anxiety around us. And and then you mentioned this, but societal. It's like society is just made up of you and me and other everyone else. It's not like society uh-huh. is a big thing over there that we don't have a part in. It's like we're all co-creating society. We're part of it. Um, so there is this sense of us working with our own mind and us beginning to relate to others. On, like this is actually not a bad example. Like me now calling this person up tomorrow and saying, or sorry, today and saying, hey, can I talk to you about how you handled that? You know, like 
calling someone out of the blue after not talking to them for a few years and saying, I'm concerned about your mother without context is sort of a weird thing to do. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's like when we start to work with each other in kind ways, you know, and like mm. I'm not a, a jerk about it, but but to start to relate to our minds, our own other people around us. And that's society. That is, mm-hmm. you know, that's what society is. It's a bunch of people working with their own minds for better or worse. How do we start? Yes, I mean, sure, meditation. You're saying, okay, people haven't even thought about meditation. I don't know, man. Like there's there's a little interesting frustration that's come up over the last however many years is meditation has become so mainstream. People are like, that's nice, but I don't have 10 minutes a day. What else you got? Because we want right. prime to us. Like we want, I'm sure you see this with the work that you do. It's like people are like, can I just get the benefits without doing the work? And I'm sort of tired of pretending that that's the case. I mean, yes, Same. like, can, yeah. can we relax the body temporarily? Yes, you can take three deep breaths in through the nose, out through the mouth. When you are held in stress, that is enough time to distance yourself from that story, to reset the nervous mm. system. That you might be able to take a fresh start approach. But if you haven't been training your mind at all, you're probably going to go back to that original story after that short break. So when do right. you treat the disease and not the symptoms, is my opinion. Mm-hmm. So I'm being a little hardline and saying like maybe people should meditate. <laughs> well, but you know, the thing about it though, Lodro, is people do meditate. They just tend to meditate on really shitty stuff. Like you meditate all day long on, I call it disasturbation. Like where you just, you know, that's, it's a really horrible form of meditation, but it's you're meditating on it. And it is, yeah, it is interesting that people want, uh, like I would love big bulging biceps, but I realize I have to lift heavy things over and over again to get them. And I don't do that. Ergo, I don't have like big bulging biceps. Um, but, uh, I don't want to go back. You, you said something about kindness, like uh, working with others in kindness, because this is really kind of a, I'm in, uh, in all transparency. I'm, uh, I've been studying with Lodro for most of this year, I guess I did first, uh, the Buddhist immersion uh, studies, and now I'm in the Bodhisattva uh, program, uh, which is very steeped in work of compassion, like towards yourself and towards others. And I got to tell you, it's very, <laughs> like I thought when I signed up for it, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a cakewalk because I, you know, I teach loving kindness meditation. And it's been challenging because just, you know, you, you know, you look at this at your phone and you like read comment sections and you're like, may you be happy, may you be safe. <laughs> like how, how do you find compassion in a trash fire? Yeah, it's, first of all, I mean, I, I just sort of want to praise you for a second because of late, this year in particular, in the midst of the pandemic, there is this small section of people who have said, yeah, I'm really going to lean into the Buddhist studies, and that's great. And then I've just been asking so much of y'all, where it's like, okay, here's some fresh teachings on this thing. Here's a guided meditation that you can do regularly. Here's something that you can think about and try and apply every day. I was turning to my wife the other day, and I was like, I'm just asking too much of these people. But the more we lean into the practices, the easier it becomes, and the more transformative it becomes. It is exactly like you were saying. If I worked out once a week, I see some results over time. If I worked out every day, then lo and behold, you know, I'd see results much quicker. Language, you know, learning a new language, learning an instrument, all of these trainings. If we think of meditation as a training, it becomes a different mm-hmm. communication than stress relief. Mm. 
training yeah. the mind to deal with whatever's coming up. And it's going to take a little bit every day to actually get there. So to actually answer your question, you know, compassion is this thing. I'm a little disheartened and just in where we are today as a society, I really hoped that this, as you said earlier, this sort of global project that we had around a pandemic would actually bring us more to the state of understanding one another, giving each other more of a leeway and break to actually um, sort of work with one another in kind ways. And I'm just seeing increased polarization and it's right. hard to watch that. Um, and I think to say compassion, part of compassion is seeking to understand other people as well as understanding ourselves better. So for me, a lot of it comes down to a word that is being used a lot in the last year, which is bias. You know, you know I think is often used in here in the United States in the context of like racial bias, mm -hmm. that, you know, we have acculturated our minds from a young age to think certain things and carry certain stories that actually are not serving us or it, actually part of reality but that word of bias it can be applied to everything I mean I use the example of like I look across the street at the orchard and I say I like that and I look at the plant over here that's dying and I say I don't like that and it's just this is just my quick reactions and I start to build stories off those reactions mm -hmm. and lo and behold I only want what's out there and then I hate the plants over here and like that just becomes a part of my mind or it could if I don't work with my mind and catch myself so compassion you know how do we become more compassionate in the midst of a really sort of aggressive society, society that doesn't necessarily cultivate those qualities, I think starts with us looking at the way that the mind breaks down. I like this, I don't like this, I'm actively ignoring this, I can't look at it. Um, and that's basically the three lenses through which we view the world. It's those three mm -hmm. things. And the more we catch ourselves and say, you know, maybe we don't say, okay, just like the plant and catch it. Today. Maybe we catch it at the point that we're like, freaking out about how we never have nice things and we say oh wait wait, wait. can i back off that story can i let some right. go and come into reality as it is as opposed to what else might be happening um i think that you uh talking about thoughts i think it's interesting that you know in the last i don't know i don't even know what we're calling the our community anymore like you know it used to be new age it was higher consciousness but you know for a long time it was you know uh your your, your thoughts create your experience. And I think that a lot for many years, a lot of teachers were, you know, like, you know, just change your thoughts, change your life. And it, it's only been maybe, honestly, maybe since I've been working with you where I've realized like, you know, you can't control the thought that comes into your head. Like if I say, don't think of a pink elephant, we have no choice but to think of a pink elephant. But then you have, but you do have power over what you do with that thought. like. You know what I mean? Like you can have like a really like, oh, I'm a horrible person. Like you can't stop that thought from coming. But once that thought pops into your head, you can say, well, wait a minute. Okay, why? where's that coming from? Why am I thinking that? And don't you think that that's part of um, like if, if people realized, and I think you and I've talked about this before, like there's not a finish line, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> like you're always in the race, but that you're not trying to to stop or prevent something, you're just trying to manage it once it happens. Yeah, I was at, uh, this is sort of sweet that, you know, in this particular stage of our pandemic, you know, we are seeing some people and things like that. And our neighbor invited us over for dinner the other night. And um, we've lived here for over a year, I guess. And we just haven't been able to go into their homes is the first time we went and 
Um, he's a pastor and uh, she, he's a caregiver for an elderly gentleman in the neighborhood. And um, we were just talking about, you know, sort of the community that he works with and the way that he does counseling. He goes, well, you must be doing these sorts of things. And I tried to think for a moment, how do I explain med sort of meditation work that we do? And it really boiled down to what you just said, which is I said, you know, I think part of this is that we don't, most people don't realize that they're making choices with their own mind. Yes. And we just talk to people about the choices that they make. And we think of something like anxiety. And I ran this morning, I was like, yeah, like most people just think that anxiety is something that happens to them, that they are cursed with, as opposed mm -hmm. to realizing, and I don't mean to be a jerk about this, but like, we are choosing to perpetuate stories that keep us locked in anxiety over and over again. And we could learn tools to drop those stories and try something else. Mm -hmm. So the choices I'm talking about, like with our own mind is how much do I choose to hold myself in a state of frustration or anger or fear around, you know, what could possibly be happening with my mother and what this person means? And how much do I choose to just be present, address the situation as skillfully as I can, let it go at a certain point, so on and so forth. Like there's just some sort of choice that I have to make with my own mind. No one is holding me in a state of stress. Mm -hmm. No one's asking me to be freaked out about, you know, a weird phone call. It's me doing it to myself. And the more right. I realize that, it actually becomes liberating because if no one else is holding me in the state, it just means I have to learn how to work with my mind to the extent that I can mm -hmm. do other things, make better choices. Well, don't you think, though, too, that sometimes the trap, well, I, I should just say this for myself because this is, I can't say this for everyone. Uh, and I don't do this so much anymore, but for a long time, it was like I, I thought that, you were, that one day I was just going to never ha have anxiety again, <laughs> you know, very foolishly and you know, naively. And I think that's important to remember is that, yeah, like stuff happens every single day. You know, a car pulls out in front of you and blah, blah, blah. And so I think that, I think a lot of people have this idea, what the magic pill, they want the, the magic elixir that, oh, well, if I meditate every day, I, I'll, I'll tell you this funny story, it was not really funny, but I had a, a regular uh, student several years ago that had passed away. And so uh, I had class that afternoon and another of this married couple who have been coming to my classes for, I don't know, 10 years. I was like, oh, I don't know if you heard, but so-and-so passed away. Uh, and so the wife was like, well, you know, that's why I, I come to yoga every day and I meditate and I eat a vegetarian diet. And her husband goes, you know, you're still going to die, right? <laughs> but there's this thing that we do of like, I yoga and I meditate. I should never have anxiety. But it's just not true. Yeah, and I, I think that's the other thing that is so funny because, you know, people be like meditation expert or anxiety. Like, it's, it's like, I mean, if you want me to say yes, I spent 10,000 hours lost in anxiety, I, you want to call me that sort of expert, that's fine. Um, but it is the sense of like, well, let's find someone who's perfected the thing and go talk to them. And I think the honest way to think about this slash other things in our spiritual path is that sometimes people are just a little further up the mountain than us and they know a little bit more about the thing mm -hmm. and they can help lead us up that mountain to where we want to go. And at least in my case and hopefully many others, there's also people further up the mountain that they work with that are leading them up. So we're all sort of leading each other up the mountain. 
Um, you know, walking I each other home. Teachers. Yeah, exactly. I like the amount of knowledge because to me, the peak of that is like, that's a, that's full wakefulness. That's like full, I mean, you know, we want to talk about enlightenment as some sort of big thing, but like that's, enlightenment is just seeing reality for what it is. That's all yeah. it is. And yeah. there are moments that we can just sort of hop up to the top of the mountain and then we end up back to where we were before. And yet we're inspired because we have a understanding of where we're going, how it's there. And we say, oh, those other people have seen more than I have. And it's sort of like they have a better view. So I want to go study with them. And it, and it becomes that. So yes, like, I, I think it's important to realize that like, even writing the book about anxiety helped me relate further to my mind and made me yeah. an anxious person overall, but anxiety can still sneak in at any point. And, you know, it's just, I might have more tools than I did five, 10, 15, 20 years ago in working with it. And that's the important thing. It's not going to go away. Death isn't going to go away. Our fear of death to join the two isn't going to go away, but the um, ways that we work with our mind can become increasingly better so that it's like even if these thoughts arise it's like the volume of the radio chatter is less than it was however long ago what's the uh what's the term uh that you use for you introduced me to it um uh inner bitch radio yeah so <laughs> my a dear friend megan watterson who i, I co-wrote a book called how to love yourself and sometimes other people with great and book she thinks she uh, has that great term in it, which is inner bitch radio, which is that voice that's just in our head that's just putting ourselves down all the time. Even if someone's listening to this and they're like, oh my gosh, I wish I could meditate. I'm bad at meditation. This is just who I am. That's inner bitch radio, right? <laughs> right. Uh, you know, I'll never find someone who will love me for me. You know, another book I did was called Love Hurts and it was about heartbreak. And I actually, just before we got on the line, got an email from someone, despite the fact that this book was written six years ago, you know, people still write me all the time and they're like, I actually don't think I'll love again. You know, they told me their story and where they are in life and that literally said that they want, that they think they're going to die an old cat lady. And that's, that's an event. Okay, that's I like, did not no expect you to share the contents of a private email I sent you, Logro. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's funny because even if like someone, even if that specific person was listening, they probably wouldn't even know it was them because I get so many. So many, I know. know. And trope for many of us. Uh, so it is that like, we all have this voice. That's the thing. It's not uncommon yeah. for us to put ourselves down or think negative things about ourselves. And that's, it's really debilitating. So I think that's the other part in terms of the choices we make. Like how much do we want to listen to that voice? How much do we train the mind to turn the channel into something that's a little bit clearer and kinder towards ourselves? Mm-hmm. Do your books tend to, uh, take the shape of where you are in your life at that moment because like because you were still single when you wrote uh love hurts right that was before you met uh your wife wasn't it it's a great question no we were together at that point so let's okay. see um yes overall and i mean it's funny because someone wrote me the other day about the buddha walks into the bar which you know at this point i wrote 10 years ago and right you know, I'll stand by most to all of it, but you know, it, there's some language I would use, not use in our current day and things like that. Like there's some things I'm like, oh, you know, that was clearly written by like a young 20 something. Right. Yes, you know, I'm like that's that's a different version of me. That's okay. But it's not bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was the book of what I was going through at that time. And I think further on. So how to love yourself and sometimes other people is actually right when I started dating Adriana. And um, there's some stories within that. And then Love Hurts came out after that. You know, 
yes, I met Adriana at that time, but it's also a time that uh, I was coming off of, you know, deep heartbreak. I mean, there have been a couple periods in my life that were just big coconuts, you know, and they weren't, didn't always feel wakefulness at the time. And sometimes they felt like me spiraling and 2012 to 2014 or so is really like this period um, where it's just, you know, lost, big loss in relationships and employment and friends dying and my father died and all sorts of things. And um, I think it, I didn't understand at the time that I was in the midst of a big storm um, mm. and a lot of heartbreak. And yet coming out the other end, 2015 or so, when I started writing that book around heartbreak, I was like, oh, I actually learned a lot from that. Yeah. It, that's the thing, you know, there's an old saying uh, that I often perpetuate. I heard it first from a friend and colleague, Yel Shai, who's a Jewish meditation teacher. And uh, she is fond of saying, when we teach, we should teach from the scar, not the wound. Meaning- oh, that's good. It's, it's like something that I'm currently going through and I'm gonna vent about it, right? Um, like here's my current anxiety or here's my current heartbreak and I'm just going to put it on the table. Right. There's no learning. That's just me venting. That's not an actual teaching, but to go back and say, here's the things I learned from this heartbreak. That's the scar. Mm -hmm. It's not that it didn't happen. It's healed over and I've never been affected. No, there's some scar on my body. It's not a gaping wound anymore, but there's something right. there that you point to and say, here's how I got to the scar. Ooh, make your wound your wisdom. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. It's, and it's, um, hard for us i think a lot of times to actually see the wisdom or the goodness that comes out of our pain oh yeah it, it, i think though it, it doesn't take me as long as it used to um Lodra, do you find that um people uh especially your students look at you and think that you have it all together because of what you do um i don't i, I think I've sort of tried very hard to make it clear that I don't. <laughs> Good. Yeah, like, well, that's one of the things that I love about you. And that's what I've always tried to present too as a teacher, like, listen, <laughs> I've just spent a few more hours doing this. <laughs> and it's interesting, you know, having led six, seven teacher trainings over however many six or seven years, um, I also, I, I think that that's like a particular quote unquote brand of teacher that comes out of that, which yeah. is the people that realize that they do not have to be perfect, that they don't have mm -hmm. to fake being perfect, and that meditation and teaching meditation is based in representing ourselves authentically as we are, and that who yeah. we are is actually inherently good, whole, and complete as is. And that's the cool thing, um, which doesn't mean that we never act from confusion. We just sort of acknowledge when we do, and we sort of own up to it, and we get better, and we sort of learn from those things. So I think that's that's the thing. It's like, you know, can we become very human? Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that's something that we sort of need to see more of these days. It's like real humanity. Yes, like let, enough with the filters. Like, oh my gosh. Like I, I, I'm off on and off of the, uh, the dating apps uh, somewhat regularly. And it, just, it, it drives me nuts when like guys are just so filtered. <laughs> like there's not a poor line and I'm like then you meet them in person and you're like wait what phone did you take that picture with <laughs> but um can you because there's another topic I want to talk to you about Buddhism works in, on its own but you can also be a Buddhist and other things right like you can be Buddhist and Jewish you can be this is the big one can you be do you think you can be Buddhist and Christian yeah I, I think also like being Buddhist is just another goddamn label it's just exactly, like, you know, <laughs> and it's you, for other people. It's not for yourself. 
You, I mean, you, listen, uh, there's a particular vow that one can take called the refuge vow where you would say, hey, I am a Buddhist. This is how I identify. And it, it's helpful in and of itself to say, like, I'm, a, I'm committing, I'm doing this to commit to these, to this path and to these teachings and to this practice for the rest of my life. That's a meaningful thing to yourself in that, you know, my wife and I were you know, had a, a long engagement and my aunt who lived with her partner for a bazillion years and they never got married. It's like, why do you need to get married? We had a wonderful relationship. We never got married. And we're like, maybe we don't need to, but the, we did. And the act of getting up and saying, I'm committing to this relationship for the rest of my life was meaningful to us. Mm -hmm. Same thing. If that's a meaningful thing for someone to say, I'm a Buddhist and like, I'm, I need to say it out loud and maybe in front of people to actually commit to it. Great. But to practice Buddhism, is the more important thing. You don't have to become a Buddhist to practice Buddhism. You can just do it. You can meditate. You can study the teachings. It doesn't have to be mm -hmm. one sort of square thing, like the square um, peg in the in the hole. Like it, it's just like that's one way to do it, and there's many other ways to do it too. So you could say, "I believe in God," and also, "I need to work with my mind," and these teachings really mm -hmm. help mind like there's nothing in at fault with that you know like is when the more we strip sort of the solid labels away the more we're like what would be in conflict about what i just said how could that possibly be a hundred percent hundred percent i know it's just i always find that um uh i have i have a woman because you know i live and teach here in the south and for all the progress we've made we're we're still in the south and uh i had a woman that used to come to my class for years and uh she was very conflicted because she, you know, she considered her, herself a very devout Christian. And she thought that, you know, when we would use Sanskrit names, that you know, that was, that was bad. And, and she did not like, you know, the meditation part. And I said, well, what have you considered? Like that when you pray, you're talking to God. And when you're meditating, you're actually stopping your side of the conversation so that you can hear the other side. So it's a dialogue and not a monologue. And, uh, but apparently she didn't like that either because I haven't seen her in many years. <laughs> um, while I have you, another reason that I adore you is that you, uh, much like myself, that you are a drag enthusiast. At mm -hmm. least I think you are. Because <laughs> you quote RuPaul a lot. <laughs> and uh, I think this, and I just want to hear what you have to think about it. Like, I think... Uh, Drag race is, is an excellent demonstration of being present, of being mindful. Uh, it is also very interesting if you, uh, my housemate and I talk about this a lot, you know, there, there's always a villain. <laughs> like every season, there's a villain. And you're like, oh, I can't stand so-and-so. And then if they stay on long enough, you know, and you hear enough of their story, you're like, oh, pudding. Like, you're just a little hurt little little boy that's, hurting people so you see this i you know i think rupaul even uh, describes it this way that, that the show is really about the um uh i think he says the endurance of the human spirit yeah i i would certainly agree with that um i think there is i mean there's so much i could say about this but yes to that sort of sense of presence and that sense of like, if you are not in the present moment, and you, I mean, we're talking about 
not sort of a casual lounge show. You're you're on national television and the way that you're being judged is by your ability to respond to what is being needed in the moment, whether that is making a dress, whether that is, um, you know, having a quick retort and in a snatch game, whether it is, you know, any, like there's so many versions of like, you need to be present enough to see the situation for what it is and respond skillfully. Like that is the job, so to speak, mm -hmm. on that show. And some queens are better at it than others. And, you know, I was actually thinking about this because there's queens that shine in other ways, you know. I, yeah. One is perfect for that, even though they're excellent queens. Um, but there's also this other element where in the same way that like people will like Queer Eye, people will like the great British Bake Off, there's what is being represented there would very much be the concept of basic goodness. You know, yes. we talk about this notion that we're whole complete good as is and that that is waiting to be discovered. And yes, meditation can help us discover it, but clearly there are other paths there. And I, I think that within Drag Race, we see this exhibition of people saying like, I found that goodness within myself. And one of the ways that it was cultivated was within this community, was by, you know, engaging in drag. Um, and that allowed them to be more holy themselves. And, you know, I'll just share personally that, you know, there was a moment years ago, we were doing an event uh, at the Network of Meditation Studios that I was running at the time, Mindful, and we had a wonderful queen, Shelby Late, sort of take me under her wing and uh, some other colleagues took me and really, you know, gave me the full treatment. So I was actually in the basement of one of our studios without any mirrors for an hour and a half, two hours, something like that. And they beat my face and they, you know, like Shelby late really, you know, she, she's a wig master. She had this beautiful hair. I had this outfit. And um, at the end of that process, I went into the bathroom there, which did have a mirror. And I saw myself completely transformed. And, you know, we could get to very deep Buddhist concepts around emptiness and things like that. But there's this moment of like, this isn't me and this is me. Like, this is not how mm -hmm. I normally envision myself. And this is me in this moment. It is transformed. Mm -hmm. It is my notions, the ideas and fixed expectations I hold about my gender, about my appearance, all these sorts of things have now been dropped and there's something new here. And I think right. there's something really profound about that. It's like, we're getting out of our own way in all the stories we tell ourselves long enough to see ourselves in, in a fresh light. Um, and that can be really liberating. That can actually bring us closer to wakefulness. So I think there's a lot within the drag experience that people can learn from. And also, you know, they're enduring physical discomfort. Like, you know, it's not just as simple as throwing on a dress. Like things yeah. have to be moved and put away. Uh, what was your drag name? Um, so the Sanskrit word for meditation is samadhi. And so the uh, elongated version was samhati. <laughs> I love it. I have two. One I just came up with, torrential downpour. <laughs> <laughs> but my original is uh, stevia packets. Stevia packets. Okay, that's great. Because it's sweet, but also a little bitter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, all right. So I end with uh, the questionnaire that was made famous by James Lipton and Bernard Pivo. Are you familiar? I'm not. <laughs> okay. They're easy questions and they're just rapid fire. I'm always amazed by how much thought people will put into these, to answering the, these questions. Uh, 
and I'm, I would also say that I'm working very hard on not responding to your response. I have okay. failed every single time so okay. far. I'll tell you to be like, ooh, that's good, or ah. So I'm gonna try to not do that. We'll see how many questions I can get through. Okay, uh, and, and there are not a lot of questions. Uh, what is your favorite word? Bubbles. What is your least favorite word? Moist. <laughs> that is universal. Uh, what excites you? Simplicity. What sound do you love? Dog panting. Aw, upsie. <laughs> what sound do you not like? Siren. What's your favorite curse word? What profession other than yours would you like to attempt? Comic book writer. Oh, that's awesome. What profession would you not? Doctor. And last one, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear when you arrive at the pearly gates? Dog panting. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I was like, <laughs> if, if dogs are not in heaven now. Right. Then what's the point? <laughs> um, those are great questions. Yeah. Also, like, I'll be reflecting on that for the rest of the day. Like, I mean, I admire doctors for the record. It's just <laughs> one of those situations where I myself to like repeatedly while I'm probably on a 12 hour shift, deeply tired and have someone's life be put in my hands. I'm like, oh, fuck me. You know? Like, oh my gosh. I think it's yeah. a really difficult job. Anyway. My best friend is a doctor and um, I, we did a, a second uh, show yesterday and uh, he talks a little bit about COVID in the beginning of it. And he's like, listen, y'all, we are tired. Like medical workers are exhausted. Yeah. Like get the vaccine. Like we, we can't do this much longer. I was like, yeah, I got that. You know, it's just, I don't know, it's wild. It's, a, it, it's, it's the Chinese proverb, uh, may you live in interesting times. Yeah, it's that. <laughs> we certainly are. Uh, well, speaking of, stay safe today. I hope Henri, the skirts passed you. <laughs> Thank and, you. <laughs> I appreciate you for doing this and, uh, and we'll, we'll talk soon. Can't wait. I'll talk to you All soon. All right, thanks, Ledro. Bye. Uh, let's see. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at There Once Was a Yogi. Also, I have a YouTube channel if you want to practice yoga or meditation with me, also under There Once Was a Yogi. And be sure to follow and leave a review. Thanks. <laughs>